2: Hello family, Ron Geyer back again. End Time Insights, Sunday night, 8 p.m., we love it. I hope I got that time right. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about uh, the foundation scripture for this little two-part teaching on soul soulfare, S-O-U-L-F-A-R-E. We are to watch out for our souls. God sends people to help watch out for our souls. We are to believe to the saving of our souls our foundation scripture was 1 Peter two eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. They war against your soul. And that's why we do these teachings. We want to protect you. We want to guide you. We want to guard you. We look out for your soul. We care for your souls. You know, I believe firmly that I am my brother's keeper. I believe firmly my brother watches out for me also. And it's just part and parcel to being a member of the body of Christ. The privilege of looking out for one another. Hallelujah. So I want to pick up back to Peter. Uh, well, last week we spoke about the fact that we are pilgrims. We're strangers. We don't belong here. We have a right to be here, but this is not our home. And we didn't want to get too attached to the world. That's why he says, "Abstain from fleshly lusts." Don't forget, your flesh is actually your enemy. The world is your enemy. Your flesh lusts against your soul by the attachments that it makes. And so you want to be on guard against that. And so we're going to continue with that idea today. Second Peter 2, 8. I'm going to talk about Lot. For that righteous man dwelling among them, the wicked, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So uh, Lot was living in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a wicked city. God destroyed it. And yet he lived in the midst and his soul, the Bible says, his soul was vexed. A better translation would be his soul was tormented daily. His soul was tortured. That's what living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation can do to you. Galatians calls this the present evil world, and us being righteous people, our souls are at risk in this. And I know in Second Timothy 3, we talk about it all the time, the last days of the behavior of mankind. Uh, They're just wicked, wicked people. They're reprobate people. They're evil people. They're fierce people. Our lives are at risk. It's a time of great risk. And that's where we are today. And Peter warns us. He goes, hey, man, your soul's on the line. We want to protect you. We want to guard you. We want to let you know that living in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, it torments your soul. It tortures your soul. It vexed your soul, just like it did for Lot. And it's a final warning from Peter also uh, about the danger of the doctrines of man. Paul talks about that. He talks about it in Acts 15, verse 24. For as much as we have heard that certain people, let me set the stage here. Uh, Jerusalem, the Jews, and they had people and they were winning the Gentiles. And so some of the Jews within the sect that had become Christians, they went out from Jerusalem and they started teaching things that Paul and the leadership did not say to teach. They weren't church doctrines. And so here Paul is warning him for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from among us, have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandments, so Paul saying, "I didn't send these guys out there, and yet they are teaching you false doctrine, and Paul says that they are subverting your souls, and the word for that is tarasso, t a r a s s o no, it's not a type of tile. It is a warning. It's a strong verb, and it's used figuratively in this passage, and it describes a setting in motion of turmoil, of what needs to remain still is no longer still or at ease. The picture of movement back and forth indicates that the instruction that had upset what was previously settled, making the hearers restless and filled with anxious thoughts. So in practicality, what was going on was Paul's council of the Jews and the Christians, the Jewish Christians, they had gone ahead and said, no, we're not going to insist that these new Gentile believers have to come under the law. We're not going to tell them they've got to be circumcised. No such commandment. And yet there were others who came out from that Paul's council and they were teaching this stuff. And it was unsettling to them. The word was subverting your souls, Tarasso. It was creating confusion. It was creating doubt. It was taking them off the place of faith. And Andrews makes this comment that in this verse, terrasso is a present participle in the Greek language, which tells that the church was still disturbed over the false teaching that they were getting. The words of the false teachers had a negative impact on the church at Antioch. It caused them trouble. Legalism and false teaching will always be a burden to true believers. And so we see here, look at this, this is amazing. So we had Peter in Second Peter uh, 2, 11, telling them, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Watch out for the attacks of the flesh, which can destroy your soul. That's one danger. And now here we've got Paul telling the saints, amen, there's people, false doctrine is after your soul. So we've got carnal appetites, That can be a danger to your soul. We've got fleshly lust, danger to your soul. And now we've got false doctrine as a danger to your soul. We've got to be aware of all this stuff. It's why we do our program. Let's see. This is why warnings are so important. Look at this. Lot was tormented and tortured by the sin of wicked men just by hanging out in that environment. And now we see that the false doctrine is causing unrest in the church as well. Here's a thought that somebody wrote. I didn't get their name, but it was in the commentary. Beloved child of God, this is one of the effects of false teaching. If you ever hear a sermon, read a book, hear a teaching that disturbs your soul deep down, then you need to consider that the instruction may not be sound. It may not be healthy for you. It may not be healthy doctrine that is supposed to edify your mind and strengthen your soul. Remember, the spirit of truth indwells you. But unbiblical teaching that instead of building you up that tears you down and instead of increasing your faith causes you to begin to have doubts and fears that's not of God and you need to check that out and fix it. That is not the effect of the Holy Word of God. And just because these so-called instructors may appear to have gravitized, uh, they may have a name, they may have a reputation, they may have a, an air of erudition. Pay heed to your response in your spirit, man. And remember Paul's clear warning to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20 when he told them that, hey, man, I'm getting ready to die and you're going to have some people that rise up right from among you. They're going to be ravenous wolves grievously. They're going to be messing you up with false doctrine. They're going to ask you to try to get you to follow after them. Be so careful, saints. Heed the warnings in the word of God. You know, I can testify to this personally about the the danger to your soul from false doctrine and false teaching. Uh, the last church that my wife and I attended, we've been gone about six months, maybe seven months, I don't know. The last church I attended, I experienced just such an incident. The pastor started promoting his opinion that God was not sovereign in the earth today. Now, I knew that as a Catholic, that he was sovereign in the earth. I knew that was false. And yet, you know, okay, I hear it one time, maybe he was having a bad day. He presented God's sovereignty as the biggest lie or deception ever been perpetrated upon the church. He said it strongly. There was no question. He wasn't thinking out loud. He just made it as a truth that God is not sovereign in the earth today. I remember leaving the church that time, and I was quite disturbed by it, but I'm not a troublemaker. I figured I'd chew on it and go from there. I wasn't willing to give it too much thought at that time. Everybody screws up now and then. But then when it was repeated on two other occasions, I kind of knew something was off and something was wrong. I did some research and I found out that a leader of the W Word of Faith movement, uh, he was promoting the same research, the same doctrine. I checked it out biblically and found where the error had come from. So one thing led to another. And finally, my wife and I, we were out of the church and denying the sovereignty of God in the earth. It was huge for me. It was a deal breaker. I had no business attending there. I thank the Lord that he gave unrest to my spirit. Uh, I got a check in my spirit that this was wrong. You know, and honestly, in my view, this is a doctrine of devils. I mean, I can think of nowhere else. I can think of no one else who stands to gain from such a teaching that God is not sovereign in the earth today other than Satan himself. It's this kind of doctrinal misreputation that should trouble your soul. When you get around this stuff, check it out. You know, if you get an unrest in your spirit, you know, you got to listen to these preachers when they're preaching to you, by the way. You just can't lollygag, check out your phone, go daydreaming, fantasizing about lunch. You've got to listen to what you're being taught. They are feeding your spirits. They're charged by God. Hebrews 13, 7. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch out for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Your pastor, your Bible teachers, your home group leaders, they are watching out for your souls. Uh, As a husband, I'm watching out for the soul of my wife. My wife is watching out for the soul of me. As parents, you're watching out for the souls of your children. And you have got to make sure that you're doing a good job. God has appointed pastors and teachers to do that. That doesn't mean you don't watch out for your own soul. At the end of the day, it's just between me and God. It's just between you and God they will have to give an account for your soul. I'm not sure how many pastors really get that. I'm not sure if they know that if they get up in the pulpit and they're thinking about, okay, Lord, these are souls that you gave me to watch out for. They don't belong to you, pastor. They are not your sheep. They are the sheep of God's pastor. They belong to God. You have been entrusted with an anointing, with a care for them that is representative of the love that God has for them. But You've got to make sure, guys, that they're watching out for you, and you've got to check out their doctrines, make sure it's biblical, and you've got to pray for them, because they're not perfect either, but it's important that you take the lead in watching out for your own soul. That's on me. Hallelujah. So, I wanted to go back, uh, you know, okay, we gave you two more dangers to the soul. Don't forget your fleshly lust wars against the soul, and false doctrine wars against your soul. 1 Peter one nine. This is a great scripture. I love it. I love it. I love it. I couldn't wait to get here. Actually, there's another spot I couldn't wait. Actually, there's two more spots I couldn't wait to get to. It's all great, great stuff. The Word of God. I love it. You have got to learn not to fall in love with the Word of God. That means you have no control over your emotions. People say, well, I fell in love with my husband. No, you didn't. You chose to love your husband. You are in control, not your emotions. Anyway, drifting. 1 Peter one nine, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. That's a fabulous scripture. The purpose God gave you faith is defined right here. You have faith so that first and foremost, your soul can be saved. That's it. Nothing else. You can use it for other things and we do and we should. But right here, the end of your faith, the main goal of your faith, the main reason you have faith is to make sure that your soul is saved. You know, your soul can be saved. All other faith projects are secondary to this. Notice the salvation of one's soul also is an ongoing process. EHV translation, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we just learned three things right there. Number one, your flesh fights against your soul. Your soul needs to be saved. And faith wins the day for your soul. Let me read it again. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I love this in Luke. We're going to see... Uh, Luke 22, 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, that you strengthen your brethren. There's a lot in there, and I love it. You know, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon. Nobody got yelled at in the Bible more than Peter. Hallelujah. And it's no coincidence when I was growing up Catholic, I chose the confirmation name of Peter. I had a big mouth just like Peter. I was always talking when I should have been listening. I was always doing when I should have been watching. And no different than Peter. Here's Peter going ahead. Jesus is saying, Peter, bad times are coming. Hallelujah. Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Hallelujah. But I have prayed for you. And it's interesting to see how Jesus prayed. This is so fabulous. I mean, this is, this is great. This is great. This is great. Jesus could have done anything. He could have killed the devil. He could have run him off. He could have cast him out. He could have fought the devil. He could have gotten angels on the scene. He could have corrected Peter. didn't do any of that. He left Peter in the fight. What? Yes, he left Peter to fend for himself. But it's not that Jesus didn't do anything. He did what was needed. He left Peter to deal with this. But the one thing that Jesus did do, as always, was the one thing that Peter needed. And the one thing that Jesus did, what did he do, guys? He said, Peter, I have prayed for you. But he just didn't say, Peter, I have prayed for you. He says, Peter, I have prayed for thee, what, that thy faith fail not. I love it. I love it. I love it. He prayed that Peter's faith would remain strong. He just told him, Peter, Satan's after your soul. He wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you. But then he says, but I've prayed for your faith. Why did he pray for his faith? Because we just learned it in 1 Peter 9, 1, 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. God was going to leave Peter in the battle. God was going to let Peter fight the fight. But what he did, he strengthened Peter's faith. Because it was by Peter's faith that Peter would win his soul. Do you see that? Do you see the love of Jesus? Do you see the power of God? Do you see the wisdom of God there? Hallelujah. I'm going to defend you, Peter. I'm going to fight for you, but you're going to have to join me. You're going to have to get in this battle, and you're going to need your faith to do it. I love it. Hallelujah. Just like your faith is going to ensure the salvation of your soul, Jesus was watching over Peter's faith because he knew that Peter's faith would ensure the salvation of his soul. What a great God we serve. I love it. I love when you read the Bible and you see stuff like this. I love the way God didn't do it for Peter. God let Peter do it, but He made sure that He had the weapons that He needed to ensure His success. Here's another one: Hebrews ten thirty-five through thirty-nine. I love this scripture. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and shall not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Here we go. Verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I love it. So there's what? There's one, two, three, four, five verses right there. The scripture, the lesson starts in verse 35, and it begins with the warning. Cast not away your confidence. Kenneth Copeland says it like this. Don't throw down your faith. You're going to need it. I love it. So simple. Don't throw down your faith. Cast not away your confidence or faith. The NIRV calls it confidence. It actually translates bold faith. I like how Copeland says it. Don't throw down your faith to the ground. You're going to need it. Amen. Notice that the Lord not only says, don't throw down your faith, but he says, patience also. So Paul wrote Hebrews, Uh, it might have been Paul, it may have been somebody else, but the writer says, cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Okay, you're going to need faith, amen, for you have need of patience. You're going to need patience also, that after you have done the will of God, what is the will of God? Releasing faith. For after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise, for yet a little while, and he shall come, will come and will not tarry. So that's why he's saying patience, actually patience is a steadfast endurance. A better word is endurance there. And the picture of endurance, it's like um, we learned this in the book of Revelation when we were teaching on that. Rick Renner gave the example. uh, The saints' endurance, you've got to endure until the end. And the picture of endurance, the word is used as when they were being tortured, they actually hung a long heavy-duty rope, and they hung a heavy stone on the bottom of it, and they uh, tied the Christian to the ground, and they would slowly lower The heavy stone upon their chest. And it was that word endurance that they talked about that the saints needed. They needed to endure that trial. They needed to endure that testing. Hallelujah. And so uh, the writer is saying, okay, by faith and by patience that you will endure until the end and for he that shall come shall come and shall not tarry, but my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back into perdition. We are them that believe to the saving of our souls. So this scripture, it tells you that you need faith and you need patience. You need bold faith and you need lasting patience, endurance in order to save your soul. I love it. Um, Here's another translation of the word patience Amplified By your patient endurance Empowered by the Holy Spirit You will gain your soul I like that And then the Amplified Classic Even better By your steadfastness And patient endurance You shall win the true life of your souls Faith and patience Uh, Brother Copeland's got a teaching on that He calls them the power twins You will need both to achieve the salvation of your soul I want to talk about uh, also uh, what James has to say about it. I love it. You go to different chapters, different writers, and they all have something to contribute to the salvation of your soul. James one twenty one. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, wickedness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, okay, which is able to save your soul. (laughs) I love it. As in everything, once again, the Word is our answer. The Word is our deliverer. The Word is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hallelujah. The phrase lay apart. Remove far from you. Separate yourself from uncleanliness and wickedness. And then receive with meekness, with a humble spirit. The God's Word translation. So get rid of all immoral behavior and all the wicked things that you do. Humbly accept the word of God that he has placed in you. This word can save you. Amen. I love it. This word not only can save you, this word will save you. Hallelujah. Hebrews eleven thirteen, talking about the Old Testament saints who died in faith. And if it says that they died in faith, then you know that they achieved the salvation of their souls. You know they got to that place. Hebrews eleven thirteen. all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So how did these old time saints manage faith? Did they have to manage uh, the salvation of their souls? They had to do it the same way we had to do it as New Testament saints, by faith, by patience, by endurance, and by the word. For one, they kept their faith intact. We see that revealed right there. And, you know, we have seen many of the promises that they didn't. We've seen them fulfilled. You would think that we could do no less. So here we see both the Jew and the church under different covenants were required to defend their souls in the same manner with faith. And I've got three minutes. I'm going to close with this scripture. This is a great scripture, very important. And you need this one also. 1 Peter 1.22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's fabulous. Commentator Wuest, W-U-E-S-T. I'm sure I said that wrong. Wherefore, having purified your souls by means of your obedience to the truth. That's pretty basic, right, guys? Wherefore, having purified your souls by means of your obedience to the truth, resulting in not an assumed but a genuine affection and fondness for the brethren an affection and fondness that springs from your hearts by reason of the pleasure that you take in them this is so beautiful from the heart love each other with an intense reciprocal love that springs from your hearts because of your estimation of the preciousness of the brethren and which is divinely self sacrificial in its essence. Let me translate that. Hallelujah. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the one that does the purification of your soul, okay? And once again, James, it's the Word of God which is able to save your soul. And so you're studying the Word of God, you're reading the Word of God, you're obeying the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit gives you revelation knowledge. This is what it means. This is what it does. It produces love in you whereby you are able to go ahead and love the people of God unconditionally. Remember, we sing the song, they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Matthew Henry says it like this, the gospel is called truth in opposition to types and shadows, to error and falsehood. This truth is effectual to purify the soul, if it is obeyed. Many hear the truth, but are never purified by it, because they will not submit to it nor obey it. The souls of Christians must be purified before they can so much as love one another unfeigned. There are such lusts and partialities in man's nature that without divine grace, we can neither love God or one another, as we ought to do. There is no charity but out of a pure heart. It's God that gives you the pure heart. It is a duty of all Christians sincerely and fervently to love one another. Our affection to love one another must be sincere and real, and it must be fervent, constant, and expansive. I'm going to write this now. Your soul, it's the love chamber of the Holy Ghost. Your purified soul is the vehicle, the transportation mechanism by which Father God can reach others. But purity must be maintained in order to do this. purification, Like just about everything else in the Bible is a daily ongoing process. Your soul needs maintenance. Obeying the truth is the required maintenance. Loving others for God is the evidence that you are succeeding. Your soul is like a finely tuned vehicle. It runs on obedience to truth and its destination is loving others. Our souls should be like finely tuned instruments of love. It's where we win in life. It's where we function for God. The level of our knowledge of the word, the level of our obedience to these truths will manifest and tell the world the true depth of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ.